views expressed on this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and are not necessarily those of this station, its management, or other advertisers. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio. Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show. is coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Welcome, everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to our good news segment. Today, we've got some great information to share with you. We're going to start off by talking about virtual visits and telehealth going beyond the doctor's office. Joining me here today is Dr. Patrick Coniva, Executive Vice President, Chief Medical Officer of National Health Plan and Hospitals Quality at Kaiser Permanente. And, you know, today we're going to take a look at what it means to understand options during open enrollment. You know, why is this an important conversation? Because many of us are looking at new ways to share information about health, about well-being, and also about how to get information that is credible. And so Patrick is joining us here today to take us through this journey about what the best quality services are and then how Kaiser Permanente is kind of leading the field to really look at what the most important things are and what we should know about telehealth. Then we're going to take a look at who is the most anxious generation yet. I mean, I even feel kind of funny like saying that. You know, is there a most anxious generation yet? Well, you're going to find out from Jim Jenkins, CEO, Universities East, Sodexo, North America, about why Gen Z is most anxious. Global Survey of University Students. You know, this survey talks about the uncertainty about the future. And this is important for everyone to look at. Parents, relatives, siblings, and just people across the board that are in education to understand what is making this generation so anxious. Because if we know this, then we know how to sit down and look at some of the pending issues top of the gate, can you think about, if you were a Gen Zer, what would you be worried about? What would be on the top of your list today that would matter to you more than anything, more than anything? And so when we're looking at this, we're going to be looking at what you should know, uh, what the survey is about, why is it that 86% of U.S. students all of them, what did they all say about what their patterns are, what they're doing, and why those students, why those students, right, direct contrast to the rest of the world, why those students study independently in their rooms. That is certainly not a trend that we see in Asia and beyond. Next, we're going to talk about with Teresa Shern, 
most dangerous driving habits. What are driving behaviors that each of us does that would get us in a lot of trouble on the road? And what are some of the solutions? Teresa is going to take us on a journey on what this absolutely associate vice president, personal lines, product development nationwide. What is nationwide bringing to the forefront so that we understand how to become safer and how to do it in a way by understanding the behaviors, the absolute behaviors that are going to get us in trouble when we get behind the wheel. Yes, you all know what I'm talking about. So if you're thinking I'm driving in the morning and the afternoon, are these the most dangerous times to be on the road? And if they are, have they changed from years ago? How many people are looking at whether or not they have aggressive tendencies when they're behind the wheel? Are you multitasking? And I'm not just talking about texting. We all know texting and driving, whether you're driving in rush hour or not, that is no. That's a no-brainer. Don't do it. But what are some of the other things you're thinking to yourself? Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm doing pretty good. I haven't had any accidents. I can be a little bit more risque in what I'm doing. Well, Teresa Sharn is going to take us on a journey. 20-plus year uh, career in property and casualty insurance industry. You know, she leads Nationwide's Personal Alliance product development team. And what we know about this is we know that if you learn about some of this information, Perhaps what will happen is you will stop doing some of the things that you're doing. So today, our good news segment here on the Dr. Pat Show and Transformation Talk Radio is to provide you with the information that you all have asked for when we take our surveys on how to be smarter at what we do and how to create a most incredible, abundant, just kicking it life. Take a minute, sit back, enjoy yourselves. We're going to take a short break, but we've got lots planned for you today. Thank you for tuning in. If you want to find out more about us, uh, go to the drpatshow.com or go to transformationtalkradio.com. Uh, also, please take a look at some of the blogs that our hosts and our co-hosts are doing. We've got new technology coming your way, all of the above. Enjoy. Are you traveling most of your day? Do you want to take Transformation Talk Radio with you anywhere you go? Well, guess what? There's an app for that. Just go to the App Store on your Apple device or the Google Play Store on your Android and search Transformation Talk Radio. Catch all of our live shows no matter where you are. Thanks for listening. Wow. Hey, everyone. Welcome. Uh, welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. This is Talk Radio to Thrive By. I'm telling you, I got to pinch myself some days because when each of us gets called to do something that we so not thought was in our real house to do for a purpose that's so much greater than us, we get to show up and shine. If you would like to show up and shine on the Dr. Pat Show as a co-host or sponsor, send us an email to inspire at the com. This is the Transformation Radio Network with a good news update. 
stories to spread positivity. Persistent Pups scores job and adoration after charging into soccer game for fetch. To learn more about the story, visit goodnewsnetwork.org. Mom cries when elderly stranger tells why he gave her son $20. To learn more about the story, visit goodnewsnetwork.org. This has been a Good News Update. To learn more about these good news stories, visit our Facebook page, Positivity Rules. We now return to our flagship station for more inspiring shows. Take us with you on that morning commute. Download your favorite podcast from the Transformation Radio Network. Just visit transformationradio.fm. Everybody, welcome. Welcome to the Dr. Pacho Transformation Talk Radio. You know, this topic is part of our good news segment. Uh, the reason that this is good news for me is many of you have heard me talk about my own healing journey and what was most important to me. Today, we're going to be talking about virtual visits, telehealth, going beyond the doctor's office. Dr. Patrick Cornea is joining me here today, Executive Vice President and Chief Medical Officer officer for National Health Plan and Hospitals Quality at Kaiser Permanente. Um, uh, Dr. Cornea, thank you so much for today. I believe this is one of the most important conversations in healthcare that can carve out our future. Welcome to the show. Well, it's great to be here, Dr. Pat. Um, I think if you to ask me while I was on my healing journey about telehealth or virtual health, um, I probably would have said I'm not even sure that that could work. Now, in today's world, not only are we looking for it to work, but we're looking for it to solve problems for many people that otherwise could not. Tell us about what telehealth is and what progress have we made in this arena? Well, it's it's a great question. Um, you suggested a little bit in your intro in talking mm-hmm. about going beyond the clinic walls uh, to deliver services. And it includes a lot of different things, actually. Um, telephone is being used in new and creative ways uh, to deliver care and to help solve problems for patients. But there are things like video visits. There's remote monitoring for the management of chronic disease like diabetes. There's texting and other mobile services that uh, make it possible to answer questions and solve healthcare problems for people no matter where they are. Really quite exciting. And it creates the opportunity to draw to make connections in new ways between patients and doctors or care teams, of course, but also from doctor to doctor in ways that weren't available. Uh, one great example that I like is uh, telehealth services here at Kaiser Permanente, or um, I'm sorry, telestroke services, yeah. where uh, a stroke-trained physician um, can guide the care of a patient in an emergency room who's suffering a stroke and make sure that that patient has the most up-to-date, most advanced, most well-informed care to make sure that that stroke is managed well even when that specialist is not in that uh, hospital or in that emergency room. It's a great way of connecting expertise to problems, breaking through barriers of time and geography that uh, is really quite exciting. 
You know, the other thing about it that I love is it really does give more opportunity, uh, Dr. Cornea, for collaboration. Um, and I don't mean like the once a month uh, meeting that may happen at a hospital or once a week at a hospital or when doctors get together at a conference like once a year. We're really talking about a new narrative for collaboration and saving lives, aren't we here? We, we really are. Um, you know, at Kaiser Permanente, for example, we uh, serve people all the way from the mid-Atlantic states on the East Coast to the middle of the Pacific in Hawaii. And being able to tap into expertise across that entire spectrum and with all of our 23,000 physicians and 200,000 employees uh, is really very exciting because a problem that exists, for instance, in Baltimore uh, might be best served by the expertise of a highly trained specialist in Oakland. And being mm -hmm. able to connect that expertise to a patient and their problem you know, that far away is really quite exciting. Um, you know, a couple questions come to mind, and I know this is a short interview. Uh, one is the question of anybody listening, our listeners, they don't even know, as I don't even know, the questions. So basically, we don't know what we don't know about this because it is innovative. So, for example, how do we approach our doctors about it? How do we talk about this in terms of healthcare coverage? What are the questions? Well, it's a great, uh, great question, and it's important right now because we are in that open enrollment season when um, millions of Americans are making decisions about mm -hmm. what health plan that they're going to use and what, what um, clinics they're going to be going to. Um, you do need to inform yourself about um, how your health plan and how your health plan options treat telehealth services. How do they cover them? Are they affected by deductibles and co-pays? So getting that information from their websites uh, is important. Um, getting on the website of the clinics that you're considering or your own clinic right now uh, and finding out how they have begun to use telehealth capabilities, having a conversation with your doctor about how they use them and what advice they have about um, that for you is important. All of those sources of information can make it easier for you to make a wise decision when it comes to open enrollment time. KP.org, which is our website, is the portal for our members or for folks who are thinking about coming to Kaiser Permanente for their care and coverage uh, to get information on these kinds of things. And um, seeking those out, uh, I think, is critically important. You know, I, I guess I'm not surprised that uh, Kaiser Permanente and you as well are leading this conversation because your, repu your reputation actually precedes you in so many ways, um, especially for, you know, my friends that live on, on the Hawaiian Islands. Um, are you, in your effort to speak out and make people aware, are you reaching out to other physicians and what is their response to this? What, what are those, what, what are other physicians saying? Well, actually, um, I think that conversation is moving along quite rapidly and quite productively. Oh, and thank you very much too, for what you've um, said about Kaiser Permanente and their work in this space. We are realizing these opportunities uh, very rapidly, and at Kaiser Permanente, for instance, we are constantly piloting new ways of using this technology, and our physicians and other physicians that I've talked to are really excited about what it represents, the ability mm -hmm. to break through those barriers that we've had before. They're apprehensive and want to yeah. make sure uh, that they do this work in a way that's really high quality, and I think that's probably the source of their focus. How do we do this? How do we take advantage of these innovations in a way 
that best serves the patients that we're here um, to help. Yeah, I mean, we're now moving towards this time and this day and age where virtually people are connected. And when they're not connected, as we're seeing in, my gosh, my heart goes out for the folks in Puerto Rico right now, you know, where when you are that disconnected and you're listening to the mayor saying, oh my gosh, you know, we need to have some help in hospitals. I can literally envision something like this being a solution that comes to the forefront of, of, of national disasters and devastation. I mean, right now we communicate through our cell phones. Um, yeah. and, and the minute we get a cell phone up and running, something like this can be made readily available. What are your thoughts on that? Because normally we think about this as hospital, hospital, computer to computer. But this goes beyond that, I think. Well, it does, and it raises a couple of important questions. In the context of something like um, the multiple um, disasters that we've mm-hmm. had recently with the hurricanes, think about the opportunity to provide mental health support and services for people using their uh, video and phone, mm-hmm. uh, video enabled phones. Um, being able to deliver those services without having to worry about having someone physically there is a place where that work is happening right now and very exciting. The other is making sure that um, the solutions that we have in telehealth are well matched to the circumstances. There are some things where telehealth does a great job. There are other places where you just need to be face-to-face. You need to be in the presence of uh, your physician or care provider to make sure you're getting the right care. And so being able to take all of those capabilities, deliver them to the people who need them, respond to um, disasters like this in ways that are appropriate and high quality, and acknowledge when um, you need other things on the uh, I think can really be a big source of solutions for these circumstances and the day-to-day uh, challenges that we face in getting our health care needs taken care of. Yeah, you know, one of the things you mentioned, and I really don't want to blow by it, and I know that our time is short here, is we're talking about mental health and mental challenges, and you're absolutely right. The other part of this that's also so important is, you know, looking at where something like this can be used in the addiction and recovery arena, because our current performance in addiction and recovery is really, really needing to some improvement. Can you see this moving beyond sort of what we traditionally call patient care. Oh, sure. Um, in fact, uh, in the mental health space, for example, yeah. um, the ability to help support someone as they are working through uh, their mental health condition or even someone who doesn't have a diagnosed condition but maybe has a need for some coaching or some yeah. help and support in responding to something very stressful. The idea of being able to deliver Um, addiction recovery services in places where geographically they're just so distant from those services that they wouldn't otherwise be available uh, Mm -hmm. is really an exciting opportunity, I think. Absolutely. Not only that, when you talk about countries, let's say, where even getting addiction and recovery services is really taboo, um, it is really important. I want to ask you this last question. Challenges. What do you see as challenges and how can people find out more? Well, there are a couple of challenges that come to mind immediately. One is how do you introduce all of these technologies uh, in a way that ensures really high quality, making sure that the type of problem that a patient has 
is suited uh, to the technology that you're using so that you don't wind up uh, treating the wrong thing in the wrong venue. Or if you are having that conversation with a patient and you realize based on the information that you've gathered that they need another type of care, moving smoothly into that other type of care is important. The other is adoption. Um, mm. What do individuals feel comfortable doing? Um, what do they know about what's the how do they keep up to date on the new things that are coming online, new ways that they could get their healthcare needs taken care of, enabled by telehealth services? Those are the two uh, that come to mind almost immediately. A third one actually is how are health plans responding? How are they yeah. covered? What does, it, uh, what does it mean to the financial implications yeah. as well? Another important consideration. Oh, absolutely. But I'm so glad that you're out in the forefront talking about it and educating us and being an advocate for this, because this is how we get to save lives beyond the doctor's office. Thank you so much for today. Personal message, what would you like to leave us with? Oh, um, uh, just thank you for the opportunity to talk about this. Think about it, use the information that's available for you to make a wise decision in this open enrollment time, and um, good health to all. Oh, thank you so much for all that you do. We're going to take a short break, everyone. We'll be right back. Miss any shows during the week? Don't worry, we've got you covered. With the free Transformation Talk radio app, you'll have access to all of the past week's shows in the palm of your hand. Yes! Tune in to Transformation Talk Radio anywhere you go with our free app for any of your devices. Check out our app in the App Store and Google Play Store today. Did you know that all of the shows on the Transformation Radio Network are available as podcasts to stream or download? Really? Check us out. Go to TransformationRadio.fm. We have business shows, spiritual shows, energy healing shows, and pretty much everything in between. Something for everyone guaranteed to inspire, educate, and transform. We are transforming the world one listener at a time. Imagine a world where good news... Oh, yeah! Positive information and stories were the mainstream. Tell us your positive story. Hashtag positivity rules. You are listening to the Transformation Radio Network. everybody, I'm Dr. Pat, and welcome to our Good News segment. Each week, we try to bring you the latest information that's out there about how the world is affecting us and how we are affecting the world. What are the high points? What have we learned? Today, I am thrilled to introduce you to Jim Jenkins, CEO, Universities East, so Desto North America. And so today's show is what? The most Anxious generation yet? Sodexo decodes Gen Z with global survey of university students. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Jim. 
currently CEO, but he was formerly division president of Sodexo Universities and oversees a business portfolio with revenue of what's at $1.7 billion and 35,000 employees. Mr. Jenkins has direct supervision of seven regions led by seven regional vice presidents in the university's business segment and manages over 400 college and university partnerships. So what does this all mean? This means that he is on the pulse of what's happening in universities, what's happening with students, and what's happening, period, about education. So today, we're going to talk about what goes on on campus. Outside of what you're hearing in the headlines, there is something else that's happening that leads to the conversation. Gen Z is the most anxious generation to arrive on campus yet. Well, this is going to be the story that tells you why. Well, Jim, it is great to have you join us here today. I mean, I think I'm a little surprised at the topic today, the most anxious generation yet, but on the other hand, I'm not. Uh, what I am uh, surprised about and really happy about is that you and your team has taken the time to understand this phenomenon. So Gen X, uh, Gen X, see, I'm still stuck on X. Gen Z, the most anxious generation to arrive on campus yet. Why? Are they afraid of the environment? Do they have expectations that they don't believe will happen? Are they concerned about what's going on in the outer world? All of the above or what? Absolutely. You, you, you hit some great <laughs> topics there. Let's talk about you, you started with Gen X there. And I'll tell you, this group is completely yeah. different. And uh, I had a few millennials in my house that, uh, and this group is completely different, uh, born in the mid-90s to the mid-2000. This group is beyond tech savvy. I mean, they their whole lives, you know, social media has existed. So they never lived without it, never saw the phenomenon. They just, yep. it's there and they expect it. Um, they do a lot of their research independently online. They form their yep. opinions that way. Um, they're very connected, but they're not necessarily socially connected. Uh, they're very concerned about the community and they're also very concerned about sustainability. It's a completely different group. So we, uh, we uncovered some things in this global survey that I think will help, certainly help us and, and help our partners, you know, understand the life cycle, if you will, of a, of a college student. Yeah. So let, let's get to a, a, a main question that people might be thinking about here, Jim, is like, why did you all do the survey? There had to be something that, you know, triggered this from what you've seen. Now, I agree with you, but it's a little bit shocking. You know, when you're talking to somebody like me that's got like decades of experience that remembers IBM cards, right? And now we're talking about a generation of people that if you even said IBM card, they don't, I don't even think they know what IBM is. And so that's not the world of today. And it's going to be something they're stepping into and making decisions about their lives very differently than maybe you and I did. Absolutely. You know, let's go back and take a look at this survey. I mean, we've been we've been yeah. surveying student lifestyle for since 2004. 
This year, we mm-hmm. decided to expand that into six countries, and, and we surveyed 4,000 students. So the goal for us was to uncover any insights as it relates to what's the difference with this generation so we can help uh, decide what it is we're going to do and how we're going to do it. And then the same follows suit for uh, our, our partners, and we provide services at over 1,000 college campuses around the globe. So it's uh, it's very important to stay in tune with with what's driving decision making, what's driving the decision to stay, and what's going to make them successful and 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 graduate. And uh, mm-hmm. you look from the institution side; um, they're in the business of graduating people, and they they need to get good at it. And if they're not adjusting to the the new student, then they're going they're going to struggle. Yeah. I saw one of the statistics and I thought, I have got to talk to you about this because it was so unexpected to me. It is counterintuitive for what we read in the headlines. And that is 83% of students consider a friendly campus more important than a university's reputation. And I just thought, oh my gosh, that is a big percentage. And I would love for you to talk more about that. Yeah, let's let's take a look at the selection process. So we know that this group is very tech savvy. They're going to do their homework before they show up to campus, right? So on top of the fact that reputation, okay, is not as important as the environment and is it friendly and do I feel I can succeed, about 43% of this group is making a decision based on their first impression. So mm. they've, they've done the qualifications already as it relates to, you know, is it an academic fit for me and do they have what I need from an academic experience? So I think where you see the drop or the difference in the atmosphere versus the reputation is if they're going on campus, they already know that, you know, that ticket to play has been checked, if you will. They're going to get the the educational experience they want. So now it becomes what else is there for me? How do I see myself fitting in? How do I survive? And interesting enough on that process, the parental involvement on the decision-making is also starting to drop. Yeah. So what what you mean by that is, you know, a little old school, if we want to go back, you know, the parents' influence is, honey, you got to go over here to this school because you know what, they, you're going to get a great job if you go over here because their reputation. So, you know, what I hear you saying is there's less and less of that. Um, and why do you think that is? I mean, you know, as somebody that's looking on the outside, do you think parents are more concerned about how their children will be emotionally when they get on campus and want them to feel uh, a better fit? Or do you just think that their parents are just like, we don't know what to we don't know what to, to say to our kids? Well, I, I, I think that this now is the generation that that has done the homework to to, you know, mm-hmm. counter the discussion. I, I, you know, you, you referenced, I think you should go here cause you're going to get a good job versus, mm. you know, I looked into that in the field that I want to study. I'm better off in, in Wisconsin or Maine or, or Minnesota or wherever. Um, so I, I think, the, again, the characteristics of the Gen Z leveraging the technology, they know more about the subject than their parents do because mm-hmm. of the research they do. Okay. Now I'm on campus. Here we go. This is it. Big difference, big, big, big. Now I'm on campus. Some of the results that you all have produced, 
are, I don't, I can't decide if I think it's like a good thing or a not so good thing, but one of them popped up and said uh, that these students don't come out of their rooms. Is that like true? Well, the survey says that they study independently and, uh, you know, that first of all, I go back to, I think that they're more connected than any generation that has been. And yes, they do study uh, independently. And that percentage is about 20% higher in the U.S. than it is anywhere else on the globe. So mm-hmm. here comes the challenge and here comes the opportunity where, where we can help as well is so, you know, call them the Starbucks generation as well, if you want, that, that, that they're used to being in spaces that are equipped with Wi-Fi mm-hmm. and, and they, they're studying independently or working independently in an environment where there's other people around. So yeah. that becomes sort of the amenity piece that colleges and universities need to, um, need to have to, a, to be able to continue and attract study. Yes, it is alarming that this many people do um, study independently. Like I said, we we hear it, and I I have uh, three that just you know finished college recently, and and you see it. The the uh, they're more on their device, and they'd rather text you than call you, and they'd rather you know uh, it, it's it's a different generation, and uh, universities certainly have an opportunity to help bridge some of that skill set. I mean, this is the next generation of our workforce. It is the next generation. You know what I love? I'm one of these folks that, you know, worked in the workplace for 25 years and then decided to go back to school after, you know, I I, uh, refused to implement a downsizing program in the telephone company. And, you know, I went back to school. And so I'm one of these people that went back to school in the 90s, you, you know, so I get what you're saying. What I loved about the college environment and where I hear you all can help is, there's got to be opportunity for students, even if you're going to study in your room, to work together somehow on projects, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah no, good, so good, good it, point. Yeah, yeah. Um, what is it that you all have prepared to help people with? And how can people find out more about this survey and about what you all are doing? Great. We take information like this survey um, and our and our experiences, and we we help craft and de- design solutions for our partners. So we talk about the importance of the first impression. So, you know, our facilities management group making sure the campus is clean and it looks good, and we have um, uh, you know beautification and that the, the the place works right. And uh, dining, you know, certainly the, this is the food network generation as well. They uh, they understand food and and they understand authentic food. Uh, so we have a number of things that, that certainly we can do. There is a ton of information uh, in this survey. You can go out and get it. Uh, you can go online to our website, and that is www.sodexousa, and that's S-O-D-E-X-O-U-S-A.com, and download the whole survey, or you can g- just uh, type in University Lifestyle Survey, and you should be able to find it online. So I'll tell you what I've discovered in in the workplace, and probably because I went back to school later in life, right? Some of this rubbed off. I am one of these people, like the per- I'm not in their age group, but I am one of these people that I prefer going and sitting in Lions Den or some some place where there are people, even though I might be studying. And now let's bring it to being, you know, a business owner do my business. So I have, I pack up my laptop, I have a desktop, 
I go off and I sit in a coffee place or some open place and I work. Why? Because I'm working by myself, but there's people. I see them. And of course, there's coffee. So don't you see maybe even in the study that there's a trend that workplaces are going to have to adjust to? I mean, I'm not a teen. I, 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 I'm not even close to being in my 20s. But I'll tell you, this is an environment we've got to really look at. Absolutely. I, I think you're seeing it already in, in the, the reshaping of uh, the corporate workspace. You know, mm-hmm. open, no yeah. office, communal, uh, you know, trying to break down some of these barriers. And, and I think this mm-hmm. generation is going to have to work hard to make the bridge from mm-hmm. where they are now to, to, you know, succeeding in that environment. Yeah. So what are some of the high points also? I know we have a short time left. I'd love for you to just give us a run through of some of the high points that you, you discovered. Yeah, I, stress is huge for this group. Um, they're really concerned about money, and they're really concerned about how they're going to pay for it. I mean, you're, you're, you're talking up to $70,000 a year for, for Tier 1 institutions. So um, stress yeah. around money and the, the need to, to understand more about money management. Um, health concerns, you know, not just uh, physical but mental health concerns as well. And the stress about the future, very, very important. So they, they need a place that they know is going to help them find a job, help get the help get an internship, help them bridge the gap from university to professional mm-hmm. work life. So, you know, a lot of things around stress have popped out in this survey that, that this age group is, uh, put themselves under and it's, uh, it, it, they're driving factors and decisions on whether they, they, they come or they stay or, or they stay and they succeed. Well, you know, I love the way that you all have put this together. I think one of the things, and I don't know if your survey shows this, but I'm going to look. My sense, though, is these these folks are extremely altruistic. And I don't know how you show that or demonstrate it, especially when information comes out in our pop culture, you know, that Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z are so self-absorbed. I'm really seeing something different in them. I'm really seeing a need to create a better world. And I don't know if your survey found that. Yeah, it, it it did, and and I talked earlier about the the whole sustainability piece, and and they care. And uh, some of our other yes. research has, has said that seventy percent of these students are asking questions on their tours about the university sustainability practice. You know, yes. are you using lead lead source buildings? What about procurement? What are you doing about carbon? What are you doing about energy management? Mm-hmm. What are you doing about your food supply? They care. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Thank you, Jim, for a great study. Thank you for doing what you do. And thank you for caring about our education. I think it is one of the most important and pivotal uh, pivotal points for the success and future of any nation. So thank you so much for that. Awesome. It's been, uh, been a pleasure, Dr. Pat. Thank you. You bet. We're going to take a short break, everyone. Uh, This is a survey and a study that you all want to tap into and take a look at. And by the way, why don't you share it with your kids? And how about you grandparents? Why don't you share it with your grandchildren? We're going to take a shorty. We'll be right back. Welcome to 
of the Dr. Pat Show, Talk Radio to Thrive By. I am so thrilled to be talking to all of you. We have got Talk Radio for all of us. Are you ready and willing and able to accept all of the abundance you can muster up in your life? Check us out at drpatcho.com, transformationtalkradio.com, transformationradio.fm. Oh, my goodness. Are you traveling most of your day? Do you want to take Transformation Talk Radio with you anywhere you go? Well, guess what? There's an app for that. Just go to the App Store on your Apple device or the Google Play Store on your Android and search Transformation Talk Radio. Catch all of our live shows no matter where you are. Thanks for listening. This is the Transformation Radio Network with a good news update. Stories to spread positivity. How a lost purse got a heroin addict on the path to recovery. To learn more about this story, visit goodnewsnetwork.org. Once bullied for her love of bugs, eight-year-old co-authors scientific paper. To learn more about this story, visit goodnewsnetwork.org. This has been a good news update. To learn more about these good news stories, visit our Facebook page, Positivity Rules. We now return to our flagship station for more inspiring shows. Listen while you work. Streaming live on any device. Tune in to the Transformation Radio Network. Visit TransformationRadio.fm. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. Thank you for joining us for a good news segment. Today, I am really thrilled uh, to be talking with you about how to stay safe during your daily commute. Now, for many of you, you know what I'm talking about. You know that there are things that happen during that daily commute. You scratch your head. You don't understand why things like that happen. But today, you know, for us, it's not just about looking at that. It's about the solution. Teresa Sharn is joining us here today, Associate Vice President, Personal Alliance Product Development at Nationwide. And today we are talking with her about, wait a minute, what can we do? What can we learn with a 20-plus year career in property and casualty insurance industry? She comes to us as a spokesperson that is more than that someone that is so committed and dedicated to helping all of us understand what we can do to stay safe. Teresa, welcome to the show. Great to have you here. Uh, Happy to be here. Appreciate the time. Um, You know, uh, so let's talk about this. Uh, Many of us that have commuted like 24-7 most of our lives, um, we have a sense of this, but we also have this sense that there's nothing we can do about it. I mean, I'm sure you've heard this a million times. Well, you know what? It's this rush hour traffic that is what it is. But that's not what you've discovered. 
Correct. You know, in the end, it really is all of us, you know, working to really control what what we can control and, you know, determining what we can do to become safer drivers. As you said, in the morning and afternoon commutes, you know, they're absolutely riddled with with, uh, traffic congestion, people trying to get to work fast, trying to get to daycare fast, and then the reverse commute. And so we absolutely see with our nationwide smart ride data, um, we're able to see these traffic patterns, understand what driving behaviors lead to accidents, and we, as you said, we see a lot more aggressive and dangerous driving occurring between the morning and the in, during the morning and evening rush hours. You know, all of us have a sense because we've traveled around the country. We all have a sense of, you know, the states that we've lived in. Everybody wants to say, yeah, where I live, it's just this is crazy what's going on here. But before we get to that. I want to ask you this question. Um, What are some of the dangerous driving behaviors? Because I don't even think we know what they are. Yeah, we track really four key items that uh, really impact, I would say, whether you're a safe driver or not. And three of them are completely, or at least two of them are completely about what what you do on a a daily basis. And those two really are hard brakes and fast accelerations. And you can actually do a little bit about the idle time as well. So hard brakes and fast accelerations, you know, that means, you know, how quickly are you rushing to get around the, the car um, next to you and then, you know, only to a few yards ahead to have to slam on your brakes because because there's traffic. And then we measure idle time as well because that measures traffic congestion um, and tells us if you're, you're driving in a lot more traffic. And so idle time is the time that you actually spend dead stopped. Yeah. I want to ask you this question. There's this notion that, okay, I'm sitting in traffic. I can multitask. Um, I don't know what, um, you know, you found out about that. You know, I'm being kind when I say multitask because I don't think it's just about texting. I think you sit in your car and, you know, you you think you're bumper to bumper. So maybe what you're going to do is do something, you know, interesting with what you're drinking. Maybe you haven't put your tie on straight. Maybe you're putting makeup on. Are these dangerous things? Because people think, well, wait a minute, we're not moving. Yeah, you know, distracted driving is absolutely having a significant impact on driving behaviors uh, in in a bad way, as you said. And it is very much tied to the amount of congestion. You know, people in general spend 15% of their time stopped in dead traffic. That's about seven minutes every 30-minute commute that they're stopped in dead traffic. And as you said, the more you're stopped, the more you're likely to get distracted and, and not be aware of the surroundings going on. I have a question for you, and this is one of my all-time favorites. Um, What, if anything, did your study show about the distance one should keep between you and the car in front of you? Because I'll tell you what, there's also this aggressive thing that goes on in rush hour traffic about, well, wait a minute, um, I got to drive closer to this person because why? I don't want that other person cutting in. So where are we with that little story? Because you know you're laughing because you know that is what goes on. It absolutely is, and it's something that I think goes through all of our minds. You know, every time we're on the road. You know, you know. I don't know that I have an exact formula for you, um, but I would say obviously the faster you are going, the more distance you need to leave between you and the car in front of you. Um, and, you know, really just try to be patient. We all experience those drivers who once you leave that space, you know, they pull in and it can get frustrating at times. And, but just, just be patient, you know, don't get, a, don't get aggressive. 
back off. Um, in the end, you know, you will get from point A to, to point B uh, more safe. Yeah. Um, you know, have you, in looking at this, because this is a super important study, this isn't super important information you've done. And the reason I say that is because, you know, as much as people want to come up with alternatives for driving, we are not really doing a great job with that. Um, we are still driving. We're driving in droves, uh, more and more people getting to work, getting home. And here's another thing. It used to be nine to five. Remember those days when people were like, I get up, I got to be at work at nine. And then, Have we created multiple rush hour patterns during the day? And is this an illusion for some people that think, ah, you know what, I'm going into early shift, right? I don't, it's not for me. Yeah, when we measure rush hours, it certainly is a longer time period than we might what we might think about. So the morning rush hour is really from about you know seven a.m. to nine nine a.m. and the afternoon rush hour is from about four p.m. to seven p.m. So it's not just you know from mm-hmm. five to six. It is over a much more extended period, and and those are the times when you see more aggressive driving and more accidents happen. Well, I want to ask you this question. You know, is this a one-size-fits-all conversation? And what I mean by that is, okay, wait a minute. You know, like we all like to look at New York and say, oh, those people. I'm from New York, so I can say that. Um, but, but you know, we don't look at, uh, like, my, my mom. We don't look at, like, oh, you know, mom's from the South. And, you know, those, that, no, that doesn't go on down there. I mean, we make these assumptions, so we automatically self-select ourselves to not be part of what you're talking about. How true is it for the states that you've looked at? Is it the same? What are some of the surprises? Yeah, I'm, I don't know that what I'm going to share with you is exactly surprising, but okay. you know, what we would say is that the, the states that are the highest offenders of aggressive driving habits are the District of Columbia, Georgia, New York and Texas. You know, these are states that have uh, a lot more congestion. Um, they drive more miles, and they certainly they certainly have a lot more aggressive driving behaviors. On the other side, you know, the states that tend to be the safest are states like Missouri, uh, Mississippi, Arkansas, and and even West Virginia tends to have you know some of some of the safest, less aggressive drivers. So there's absolutely a difference that we see in general by state. And a lot of it has to do, you know, I would say, with a lot of the congestion, traffic Have you figured out roughly what we're driving each day? I mean, you know, we used to have statistics on, okay, the average person drives X. Uh, What have you discovered the average person is driving? And I don't know if that's even a question that makes sense because, like you said, if you live in Texas, maybe you're more likely to drive like two hours. Yeah, and the number, the amount of mileage absolutely varies by state. Um, and the states that are more rural tend to have tend to have more miles. But in general, uh, people are driving about eleven eleven thousand five hundred miles per year. Um, an interesting note is that October is the third highest mileage month, and on average, people drive about twenty nine miles per day in the month of October. Wow. Well, okay. Do you have any insight about that? You know, I, I I don't have any exact speculation on October, but the other two months that are the highest two months are are uh, uh, June and July. You know, obviously those are the summer travel months. You know, when people are mm-hmm. taking vacations, driving usually across the country or multiple different areas, and so you know those two months, the top two months, tend to make a, a lot more sense mm-hmm. um, than maybe what October does. But uh, you know, 
it definitely shows that October is the third highest uh, third highest miles traveled mm-hmm. month. Yeah, I'm going to just call it Halloween. That doesn't make any <laughs> sense, could, but why not? Yeah, yeah it could be. <laughs> um, it's just Halloween like my favorite. Um, but I want to ask you this other thing, too. I mean, there's a lot of information that you're providing with people. Um, what do you say or what would you say other than weaving in and out and stop and start? What would you say is uh, additional behaviors people should be more mindful of? You know, I think the best tip that you can give to, to drivers just really work to be more patient. You know, don't rush, as we talked about, leaving plenty of space between you and the vehicle in front of you. Think about, you know, planning your trip, you know, whether that's leaving on time and giving yourself plenty of time to get from point A to point B. I know my husband likes to say he might have a little bit more aggressive driving because because of me, he can't leave on time. But the other thing would, would be is just think about, you know, when you're driving in your morning and afternoon commutes, you're taking advantage of several apps or local radio shows that help you understand what the traffic mm-hmm. patterns are and avoid the congestion. Okay, now the $64 million question. Is there such a thing as a more dangerous day of the week on the road? You know what I'm saying? It's like, like intuitively, I'm like, oh yeah, Monday. Everybody's crazy on Monday. But I don't know if that's true. You know, there absolutely is a more crazy day on the road, and I'd say even a more crazy time on the road. So, is there? interesting, yes, interestingly enough, you know, the, the, as we said, the morning and afternoon commutes are definitely the times when there's more aggression. But, you know, Tuesday's rush hour is more dangerous than Monday's. Wednesday's rush hour is more dangerous than Tuesday's. All of that wow. leading to the most aggressive driving occurring occurs during the afternoon commutes on Fridays. And we see double the hard brakes on Friday afternoons than we see in the mornings, and we see 25% more fast accelerations on Friday afternoons and Monday mornings. So people are, uh, mm-hmm. people are much more aggressive on Friday afternoon trying to get home. Yeah, and, you know, that's interesting, too, because it also points to, you know, a pattern that we can all be more aware of. Now, before we kind of hop off here, you know, how can people find out more about this? Is there, let's give them a website they can go to, because now we're just, like, touching the surface here. How can they really look this up and find out more for themselves? And one of the great thing is Nationwide has a program called Smart Ride where our members allow us to track their driving either through a mobile app or a small device that they can easily self-install in their vehicle. Once enrolled, the Smart Ride drivers earn an immediate 10% discount. And what's really great is after six months, they can earn up to a 40% discount based on safe driving. And through this, we do our, we really work to help coach them on this behaviors, help them improve their driving every week so they be come safer drivers, and also save money in auto insurance. I love it. How many smart ride drivers are there? We have over 500,000. We have over 500,000 drivers. Mm. Wow. We have actually... And so, um, a, so what you've done, though, is you said, this is the way I hear you talking about this. You said, listen, if you get on board and you become more aware and you're paying attention and really care about this, we're going to make sure that that pays you back somehow in the insurance you get. That is absolutely the case. And, and on top of that, we're helping you be more aware on a, on a weekly basis and even potentially a daily basis um, as well. Wow, this is really quite progressive. Thank you for this. Last question. I know you got to run. Personal message. What would you like to leave us with, Teresa? 
you know, I, obviously it's, I mean, safe driving is important to all of us. Um, so really, you know, take your time and, and be patient. And um, you can utilize things like our Smart Ride program to, to help you become a safer driver. To learn more about that, go to nationwide.com and, and search for Smart Ride. I love it. Thank you so much. We're going to take a short break, everyone. Lots of good information here. Go find out for yourself what's going on. We'll see you in a few minutes. <laughs> 